Hello and welcome to Living the Present Moment with Dr. Joel Yang. This episode is recorded live, March 15, 2019. On this series, I interview people of passion and purpose doing interesting things, living the present moment. I'm your host, Dr. Joel Ying. I'm a physician, educator, storyteller. You can find my mailing list, blog, courses, calendar at livingthepresentmoment.com. That's livingthepresentmoment.com. Today's topic is protecting the children. My guest today is Corey Huffman. Corey is an attorney with Legal Aid Service of Collier County, which offers free legal assistance to low-income families. In regards to domestic violence issues, family issues, housing issues, consumer law issues, tax issues, public benefits, and immigration. And I met Corey at Naples Advanced Toastmasters. We were both trying to improve our public speaking skills. There we often give five to seven minute speeches on what we do. And I've been intrigued every time he gives a speech. As a doctor, I often prefer not to interact with lawyers. But uh, I'm glad uh, we live in different worlds and Corey has broken my stereotype of a lawyer and offers me a different way to see things. And I enjoy the fact that he finds some uh, passion and purpose in, in his role in the legal system. How are you doing out there, Corey? I'm doing very good, Joel. Thank you very much for having me. Ah, thank you. A very serious question to start with. I went on to the Florida bar, and they tell me that your name is Corey Ray Michael Hoffman. How how do you live with four names? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, I did, for the most part, I just go by Corey. Um, and it's always a fun uh, conversation starter when people walk into my office and they see my diplomas on the wall and they see that I have two middle names. And it's always, then they ask why. And it's always fun to even tell that story because my parents, the only reason I have two middle names is because my parents couldn't agree on what they wanted to name me. Um, so they, they compromised and gave me both of the names um, that they were arguing over. My dad wanted to <clears throat> name me Ray because of his um, his brother is Jerry Ray. And he feels like he won because his other brother is Danny Michael. So I've technically got both of his brother's middle names. My mother wanted to name me uh, Michael after her brother, Michael. So if she wanted me to be Corey Michael Huffman, he wanted me to be Corey Ray Huffman. And finally, they're just like, well, why not give them both? And so that's kind of how that happened. <laughs> oh, I can see why you would become a lawyer, so you can arbitrate between your parents. <laughs> I, I, I am the consummate arbitrator. I am a middle child, so I am a consummate uh, arbitrator for every dispute in my family or not family because I'm just so used to just doing it. So any any conflict that I see, I just automatically go into that groove of, well, let's figure out where we can find common ground between the two of you. <laughs> Strangers, I've never met you, but I'm going to help you figure this out. <laughs> That's great. funny. Oh, speaking of, since it's almost in your upbringing there, how, how did you decide to become a lawyer? What inspired you? Um, when I was growing up, uh, my mother was very much, um, she, she kind of quit high school when she was in the ninth grade because she never cared for school, and, and my father was the same way, but he had to quit school mostly to um, help his family uh, to support them because uh, his father was an alcoholic, so Neither one of them really have um, that much of an education, and they never found too much value in an education. But my mother always wanted to be a lawyer, 
and she would watch, you know, she, she had live courtroom television on all the time. I remember her watching the OJ trial constantly and any other high-profile trials that were on television. She was always watching them and always watching courtroom dramas and stuff like that, and she always had a passion for it, and, and I've always been kind of a mama's boy, so I don't know. I just kind of found a passion for it myself and started looking into it, and I was, and, you know, I also like to debate, and, and I feel like a lot of lawyers say that, oh, well, I, I'm good at debating, and so I was, I was always been kind of one of my, like, throw-off answers, even though I don't know that's really the reason why I, I wanted to do it so passionately the way that it did, um, but I saw her passion, and I was like, this must be a field or a profession that is, is worth looking into. Um, and as I did, I, I did become uh, very passionate about doing the work. And I've seen a lot of injustices when it comes to, like, my family, especially in, like, the family law arena um, that I would hope I could rectify as I got older and, and became educated myself and, and, and got into a position of power to be able to assist them uh, with their, their legal woes. So that's kind of how it happened. It's fascinating. Everyone gets to a different place from, you know, something that triggers them initially into their passion. Uh, why do you keep doing it? What, what gives you purpose and passion right now? Um, I think I just enjoy the people. When you graduate law school, and you'll hear it from every lawyer, when you graduate law school, it's just so depressing. And <laughs> lawyers have, like, the highest rate of depression. Um, I think a lot of studies and, and um, have shown that the lawyers are the highest rate of the highest profession with the highest rates of of depression um, in most fields because it gets, it gets daunting and and the type of um, there's some really big assholes out in the world <laughs> that you have to deal with on a regular basis. And so you just don't really want to do it after you graduate. And, and even, even the law school process is stressful. Um, I myself gained like 80 pounds throughout the whole process. Uh, I don't think that I was quite ready to handle the amount of stress that I put myself through. And then you start wondering, well, was this the right choice? And did I want to do this? Um, and I've actually mm-hmm. got about five friends who aren't even practicing out of my, my close uh, friend group that I had throughout law school. I'm the actually only practicing litigator. Um, there's only one other attorney or one other one of my friends who actually uses her law license, but she doesn't do litigation. She does very transactional type of work that doesn't really. She could not have her license, um, but it is useful to her. Um, mm. So I say all that to say that the reason that I still enjoy doing it is I do it. When I started really practicing, um, I enjoyed the people, um, especially doing the work that I do with legal aid. Like you feel good about the work that you're doing for them. If, if I I feel like if I was mm, arguing over a contract dispute um, with one, you know, not very nice guy who's arguing over, you know, a few thousand dollars and trying to screw another not very nice guy, or maybe he is a nice guy and and I've got someone who's trying to screw over a nice guy. I don't know that I could handle that so much. Um, I don't know that I would find that rewarding to want to keep doing what I do. Um, But I do enjoy the people. I do. I enjoy the work. I enjoy being in the courtroom, having discourse with the judge and opposing counsel there are some times where I really enjoy when I have a really good legal argument um, and I go in there and I just kind of blow the other person away, you know, at least that's how, you know, you see it. Um, it's not quite that grandiose, but it seems like you just, like, solve 
the world's problems with one good legal argument, at least for five minutes before the adrenaline dies down. Um, so I think that's why I still do it. <laughs> Pretty sure that's why I still do it. Is it anything like the television shows and movies? I know I like, I, I watch the shows on doctors every now and then. Oh my gosh. Oh. And then every now and then they get it right. But you know, <laughs> well, I, I think I'm that's, curious. I think that's right with, with, um, with courtroom drama as well, because for the most part, it's very, it's very mundane and boring. And I mean, you've even heard me speak. So it doesn't change that much <laughs> in the courtroom setting. You know, you have, you have this, you know, you know, well, if you're prepared, you should have written out a closing argument to, to give um, at the end. But there's no, it's not my cousin, Vinny. There's no real people are a little bit more um, polished when they go into court. They know what questions for the most part are going to be asked. And it's all just very rote, you know. It's really hard to explain. Like, you have to kind of experience the courtroom. But for the most part, if you're just sitting there, it's it's more of like kind of like the Charlie Brown teacher with the wah, 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 wah thing. Like, unless Uh, you're really interested in the subject matter or or you have a vested interest in what's happening, like it's your life that this is happening to, um, watching court is is not fun. (laughs) So. (laughs) But they make it so dramatic. It's got to be exciting. Well, there are some moments I, I've, I've, I've represented, and um, I, there was the one time that I felt like I was almost, in a way, living a courtroom drama like that was I had a domestic violence case where uh, the guy was just so, like, angry of the, that the fact that his wife was trying to get an injunction against him um, because the guy had anger management issues, and so he was very abusive towards her. And... And he just got so angry that, like, my questions, like, it just, the way that I was questioning him, I mean, at one point, I honestly thought he was going to get up off the witness stand and punch me in the face, and it was very, you know, easy to see that. And so I'm sure the judge saw it, too, but it just got to a point where, like, my questions got to, and to such a rhythm where it just got very dramatic, especially with the way that he was answering them and getting upset. And, and that was, like, the closest thing that I've ever seen to, like, any real, like, emotions or heavy um drama coming out of of a line of questioning because uh, like I said normally it's just very rote you know you ask these questions and you just get simple answers mm-hmm. back and then you just go on and you lay your foundation for whatever your case is um, but that guy kind of helped helped me um, be a little bit more dramatic and we had a full courtroom um, of people watching because they also had other cases um, to be heard and uh, you know, people like started clapping at the end of the hearing after I won it. And it's just like, this is different. Wow. wow. <laughs> like that doesn't happen. So, um, so it was, it was, that was, that happened three years ago. It's probably the only time it will happen. And maybe it'll happen again in another five years or so. Um, we'll have an overly dramatic uh, courtroom experience. But for the most part, they're, they're not overly dramatic. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Uh, you know, I was also fascinated by the fact that you work with legal aid service in Collier County. And when I read about them, they're a private nonprofit law firm that provides free civil legal service to Collier County residents. And I was like, wow, that's, it's like uh, the Robin Hood lawyers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, can you tell me about the organization? Uh, yeah, um, the organization 
started out um, originally as just one attorney um, and, like, a receptionist or, like, a legal assistant. Um, and then that attorney did such a good job that she started getting funding to hire other attorneys in other areas uh, so we could assist uh, different types of clients. When, when it was originally initiated, I believe the only type of law that they really practiced was um, divorces. And um, right now, technically, in order for us to help with a divorce or anything along those lines, uh, there has to be some sort of abuse to um, either um, the, the client who's coming in um, or a, one of their children. Um, but I think when it first started, it was it was any type of divorce, um, and that was really the only service that they offered. But we got the assistance of Legal Aid Service of Broward County, which is a much larger firm. We are now currently at uh, 30 people. Um, we've got 12 attorneys, um, and then the other 28 people, are, or well, the other 18 people are support staff members, either receptionists, legal assistants, paralegals. Um, over in Broward County, they have over 100 um, attorneys and an even larger support staff. Um, so they kind of came over and said, you know, we want to help this program grow, and um, we technically now operate under their umbrella. And uh, they worked with our local bar association. When I started with Legal Aid, uh, there were only seven attorneys, uh, and the unit that I work in, the children's unit, there's only one attorney in the children's unit and one paralegal, and now we are a unit of four attorneys with four paralegals. So we've grown quite a bit in the last five years that I've been working here. Mm. Like, yeah, and like I said, we, are, we also um, one, of, one of the newer things that we do is the consumer law, which is helping uh, low-income people who have gotten into credit issues um, or you know, potentially being sued when they don't actually owe the money and have paid it um, or are looking for bankruptcy or something along those lines in order to help them get um, back on their feet financially. Uh, that's a newer uh, grant that we received um, to help people in that, in that area. So we're constantly looking for new grants. Um, that's how we're funded. Like you said, we are a private, nonprofit law firm. Uh, we, we are not um, government-based, which a lot of people get confused about. A lot of people think that we um, are like public defenders, so we get our funding from the government, and, and it's a government entitlement, uh, but it's not. Um, the, the government, there is no civil entitlement to representation by an attorney, um, but a lot of legal aid organizations try to get uh, donations from their local bar association in order to provide free legal services, um, or the bar association will get attorneys in the area to agree to do pro bono work. And so kind of the purpose of, of, of a legal aid is to kind of help um, the attorneys, you tell people when there's not enough attorneys in the area willing to do pro bono work, you know, take on a case for free um, and offer their services for free. Um, obviously, we get paid, but thankfully we get paid because we've got um, the support of some great organizations and foundations that do raise funds, and um, they grant us a certain amount of money in order to do certain types of work. Granted, they give us um, specific requirements uh, that we have to have our clients meet in order for them to qualify for those services. Usually they have to be 200% or below, 200% of the poverty uh, line um, or below in order to qualify. Um, and like I said, with our family stuff, another qualifier is there has to be some, sort of, some form of abuse 
with our children's unit, we need abuse, abandonment, or neglect from a parent in order to offer the, the representation that is being sought. Hmm. Most of the funding sources are private grants and foundations, or is it? Yes, uh, my grant, uh, my, my unit specifically is funded by the Naples Children and Education Foundation. They're the founders of the Winter Wine Festival. I don't know if you've heard about that, but um, they raise around 13 to 15. I think this year they actually may have raised $16 million in a single day. Um, and then they provide um, funding to various organizations throughout Clary County um, that help children and their educational needs. Um, they, they help pay for the like, Children's Advocacy Center and other things um, for children in the area. Uh, some of our other grants, um, uh, the, um, we have a domestic violence unit, and they actually get um, their funding through Collier County. Collier County has um, some funding that they get from the federal government um, for what they call a community block development. Um, and they, they get their, they have two attorneys and a paralegal and they work with uh, victims of domestic violence and they're able to offer that um, service thanks to the assistance of uh, funding through that source. Um, we do also have sources that um, pay for, uh, like banks. Uh, one of our, our consumer law unit is actually mostly funded by Chase, the, the bank, and you know, uh, we're, we're still allowed to sue them um, <laughs> or defend lawsuits against them, but but I do find it interesting that they actually help fund people who do have low income and, and, and need that a, a assistance. Um, our immigration unit is actually just funded by a, a myriad of different private funding sources that um, believe in the work that we're doing in regards to helping um, people receive temporary protective status um, or DACA recipients, um, children who are, or who are here um, because of the parents um, and would like to stay here and get a, an education. Um, we're able to help that out uh, through, there's no one grant that kind of does that. We, uh, we get a lot of funding just from private donors who, who agree with that type of work that we're doing and, and want us to succeed in that. So, so we get funding from a bunch of different sources, but it, it is all usually private. We get very little from, um, I would say, government grants, but uh, one of them, one of our units does get funded by a government grant. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm really fascinated by what you said. I didn't realize either until I read online that it's a private nonprofit law firm, and that, that's really interesting. I, I'm glad you made that distinction between a public defender for criminal law and, and civil law. I, 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 being outside of the legal system, I didn't realize that, uh, yeah, there is, there, there really is no requirement that you get someone to defend you. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, unfortunately, um, you know, for, for people with, that are low income, you know, if they can't afford an attorney to, to stave off a, a lawsuit, you know, they, they may get a judgment against them. Um, that's one of the reasons why I'm actually very happy with our new consumer law unit, because I, I know a lot of people um, from in the community who have who have told me um, that, you know, oh, yeah, I received this, but I didn't know what to do, so I ignored it, and now all of a sudden they have a default judgment entered against them, and their wages are being garnished, and, you know, they can't really afford to have their, their wages garnished, so, mm. <laughs> but they don't know what to do, um, and, and thankfully we've, we've got a service that allows, you know, at least even if we're unable to give them a proper defense, um, we can um, 
educate them on, on how to at least, for the most part, kind of stave off a garnishment and maybe work with the, the banks to get a, a reasonable settlement um, and, and a reasonable payment plan to help them get back on their feet without, you know, breaking the banks. Hmm. Okay. How would you describe that distinction on what what is civil law? Um, anything that's not criminal. <laughs> anything that's not criminal. <laughs> so civil law generally um, is, 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 it, it can be family, um, so domestic relations, as we like to call it in Florida, which is uh, d- dissolution of marriage, a divorce, or uh, if you're unmarried and you have a child together, a paternity action, or... Um, domestic violence, all that is considered civil. Um, even our foster care system is considered um, civil. So a parent who's facing potential termination of the parental rights, um, and this is actually an interesting part of, of it. You act, if you are facing, um, if, if you lose your children, if your children are removed from your care because of a potential abuse, abandonment, or neglect, you are entitled to um, an attorney because uh, there's potential rights that you're losing um, which is the right to care for your own children that you have. That's a Florida constitutional right to be able to raise your children however you see fit, except if you abuse, abandon, or neglect them. Uh, the state of Florida has a problem with that. But because of that, since they are taking away a constitutional right from you, uh, you do have an entitlement to an attorney. And we have what, they, what we call the Office of Regional Counsel, um, and they offer civil um, that type of civil defense. Um, and so even that, that's technically civil. So even though there's allegations that you've abused a child, um, unless the state of Florida, um, the state attorney's office, decides to prosecute you for um, uh, gross, meaning, you know, very uh, high level of, of abuse to a child, um, unless they decide based on, on the evidence that they've received to prosecute you, um, if you remove your child, it usually still stays as a civil lawsuit as opposed to a criminal. So... Um, and then also civil lawsuits or any contract uh, negotiations or contract. If, if someone breaks a contract, your remedy is, is to go file a civil lawsuit or a small claims lawsuit. Anything that's, um, that's person-to-person um, that isn't um, – you didn't break the criminal code and, and the state attorney's office is prosecuting you, it's considered civil. Mm, okay. Fascinating. An outsider view into the legal system. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot to it. That's why they make us go to school for three years. <laughs> ah. <laughs> With so much of your organization's work centering around cases that involve abuse, I, I can imagine that would be emotionally draining, and, and especially in, in your department. I talk to doctors who don't go into pediatrics because they feel it's so emotionally draining to watch children go through illness. And and uh, so from from a legal standpoint, I can I can imagine it's quite emotionally draining. What what like what keeps you doing that? And I really honor that you really go out there and have a job that helps protect children. Um, that, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I've I've been doing it for five years. Um, and I don't know that I can say that I'm, I'm keeping on doing it because to me I'm still pretty young and, and I've only been doing it for five years. I think that's a really good question maybe to ask someone who's been doing it for 20 years because I, I can imagine it's draining and the fact that they, they're still doing it after 20 years is, is quite a feat. Um, 
I think after a while, you start kind of, in a way, disassociating yourself from some of the fact patterns that you're reading uh, because um, it, it is, when I first started, it was very hard for me to kind of, you know, even when I was questioning my clients about the abuse that they suffered, um, it was really hard to, to hear, you know, and not get as emotionally involved as they are. Um, but they need you as, a, as their attorney to kind of be the one that, you know, kind of is there to be the, the rock in a way. They can't have you getting as emotional as they are. They need someone to kind of give them some logic and, and reasoning uh, behind what's going on and, and how to help them get out of the situation that they're in. And uh, it takes a lot of mental um, strength to, to do it. And I think after a while it probably does wear on people. Thankfully for me, I, I don't haven't at least not that I've, I've come to realize. Maybe it's all subconscious at this point. Um, <laughs> uh, that's where I don't, I'm not finding it too draining, but there are, there are some cases where um, when I have a, a bad day in court, um, you know, where it seems things aren't going well and, and parents might get children back that really, um, it, to me, it, it's evident that they shouldn't and all these problems. And, but, you know, the way that the court system works sometimes, it can be unjust and, Sometimes I feel like that's when it gets the most draining for me. It's, uh, you know, when I, when I feel like I'm actually accomplishing and protecting the children and, and I'm doing it successfully, um, you, you kind of get more of that high of, you know, the adrenaline, like, oh, I'm doing something good and I'm helping this. But then when you kind of start seeing that maybe things aren't um, going that way or the, the judge isn't really seeing what's happening because of the way that the evidence is being um, presented by the different parties, you know, the state and uh, the Department of Children and Families, and then the way it's being presented by the parents who, of course, never admit that they've actually um, harmed their child. Um, that's when it kind of gets um, frustrating and, and a little bit draining. Um, hmm. And... and Sometimes it's hard to hear the, the stories, but, uh, you know, you kind of see, I, like I see my kids uh, usually once a month, if not more frequently, depending on the type of case it is and how um, the amount of time that I need to spend with that child in order to gain their trust, uh, to get them to open up to me about what, what they're really feeling and what they're really thinking about the whole, the whole thing. Um, it just, I don't know, having that relationship with them just kind of makes it a little bit easier to, to, to handle those situations. Um, when you're when you're dealing with them, as opposed to just um, you know, taking it home with you, so to speak, and and I think that's another thing is that I've I've also been able to I think compartmentalize um, when when I go home, you know, I, I reach out to my friends and and keep those connections and do things with them, and um, you know, kind of work life is is, is left to to work. Um, and unfortunately, the problems of the world are, are, are well, thankfully, in order to stay healthy, the, the, the problems of the world stay in the office as opposed to going home with me. So I think that's another reason why I'm able to continue doing it the way that I, the way that I do, because I don't, I don't take it home with me. Hmm. Hmm. That's a great example of work-life balance, I think, uh, among other things as well, just I know we have the same questions and the same problems that come up in in a medical practice as well, which is kind of funny. I hadn't thought about it until right now talking to you. So really, uh, <laughs> I realize how much we share in common in that. Um, and yeah, 
I, I find a lot of, I guess, uh, support in the fact that, you know, I'm doing the best that I can for people, and and at, at some point, things are out of my hands, and you know, whatever higher power I believe in, God, universe, uh, or, or the other person believes in, I have to end up trusting that, and and. I was just thinking, you know, just right now that the thing that you have to trust is the legal system. And I am, that's that's still something that's sort of man-made, man-created. It's not as, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what I'm trying to say, but I I really appreciate that. Wow, that, that would be really hard to have things go wrong and not, have a recourse, you know, not not, not say well, there might, must be some higher good or some randomness, or I'm not in control here, but somebody's in control and and they're doing you wrong. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that's the thing. that's really been the hardest. I had I had one kid um, who uh, was regularly being um, abused <clears throat> at um, programs that his his parents his adopted parents. He was adopted by these this family. Um, the parents actually separated, and he was um, living with his adopted mother. And um, he was questioning his sexuality, and I think his mother realized that, so would regularly send him to these uh, religious programs. Um, and the abuse that he suffered at the hands of the people running these programs was just horrendous. And at one point, um, you know, he ran away from one of these programs, and he was picked up, and mom was asked to, you know, to, to pick him up. Um, and she wouldn't, so that's kind of how we got into the um, the foster system with us, because uh, of mother's mm. refusal. But then decided that actually she did want him back because you know she found a new program that she was planning on sending him to. Um, mm. And uh, we had a year long legal battle, and um, in the end, the judge found that there wasn't enough evidence to suggest that the mother had abandoned the child, which was really our only legal argument. Because, um, like I said, it's a constitutional right for a parent to be able to raise their child however they see fit. And if that means sending them to a religious program um, or any other program that they want to put their child into, that's, they're within the right to do that. And and I was just so upset about it because I was just like, it's not just this issue. You know, she's sending him places where she knows that he's potentially being abused and, and instead of, you know, but that was the kind of lie to the court, you know, to her, to, you know, she was like, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to homeschool him and he's going to stay home with me. And, and of course, you know, the very next day after we lost in court, I got a call from him because his mother had woken up at 6 a.m. to drive him to this new program that she was planning on taking him to. But, you know, at that point, the case is over. I can't just open it back up and say, see, judge, she lied. She's, she's doing exactly what she said she wasn't going to do. But, you know, um, Ultimately, ended up working out. Uh, he's doing really well. He's actually living in New York City now, doing a great job. But you don't sometimes always see this when it's happening. Um, and mm. mm-hmm. so, losing that case was probably one of my most frustrating and probably mentally draining um, cases that I've had. So. Mm. Uh, thank you for that story. You remind me of that old Zen story. <laughs> Of just wait and see, you know, it's neither good nor bad. Just wait and see, and, and right. you know, when that's the only thing you can do when you're discouraged. Well, maybe something good. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, unfortunately, the circumstances in which he went through in order to, to get to where he's at, uh, I mean, I admire him um, for, for being, you know, to have having the strength that he had to get through what he did. But, um, but you know, now he's flourishing. And, and maybe yeah. things wouldn't have happened that way if, if um, I didn't lose that case. And, you know, who knows where he would have been if, if I had won. And maybe something else would have happened that would have been unfortunate. And you just you don't really know. But... In the moment, right. they, they, it can be hard. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. We don't really know. We don't really know. <laughs> a way to find some balance. Yeah. What, what other kind of cases are typical that legally handles in your department? Um. Really. Uh. I, since we have a domestic violence unit, um, I don't myself actually handle a lot of domestic violence cases um, anymore. Um, so a lot of it is um, we'll have a, a mother who's coming in and she's trying to um, get a divorce or get away from an abusive partner, and she's trying to protect her kids from this person. Um, so we file a lot of um, family lawsuits um, in, in that regard where um, there's an abusive you – know, the, the domestic violence part of it may have already um, happened, and so she may have an injunction for protection, protecting her and the kids from this um, – or him and, and the kids versus an abusive mother or wife. Um, mm-hmm. okay. And we're trying to make sure that the custody issues are being dealt with appropriately. So going forward, um, you know, the children stay protected outside of just, you know, having a, all a protective order really does is just say don't contact this person. Um, but there's still custody issues that, you know, may need to be dealt with because, again, <laughs> I'll go back to it, especially when it comes to children's stuff. You know, you have the right to raise your children however you see fit, and just because you can't um, you can't have contact with the child doesn't mean that you can't still make decisions about how the child's raised and, and all this other stuff. And so, those are things that we kind of help um, with, and, and even um, money. Sometimes, you know, there may be a wealthy partner, um, and we help low-income people, but the other person is kind of, in a way, freezing that person out where they can't afford to care for themselves or their children. Um, and, and we have to help them uh, get a monetary award from, from the abusive person um, so that way they can continue to, to care for themselves and the children going forward. And a lot of some of the, the other things that we do is we actually help grandparents and relatives who are caring for children that aren't theirs. So if there's a parent who's got a drug problem um, or just has no desire to care for their kids whatsoever, and they just leave them with grandma or aunt or cousin, um, we'll help that person get um, custodial rights. And usually we actually get it with the consent of the parent, so it, they can be pretty simple. But we help them get the custodial rights. That person can make sure the child's actually able to be enrolled in school and able to get medical care that they need while they're in that person's care without having to try to hunt down the parent who's possibly out on a bender or... Um, whatever else they're doing in their life that is keeping them from raising their own children. So we help um, relatives who are, who are caring for, this, for children that aren't theirs as well. Hmm. Okay. Well, there's a, a, lot, a lot that goes on in the legal system for children. And I'm curious also about the uh, process of guardian ad litem because I've talked to a lot of people in uh, Naples especially who come here and retire and they they uh, decide to do that. What, what actually is that? 
Um, I'm so assuming the harassment. Lessons, yes, I do. Um, I, and I, in, in a few cases, I've actually am a guardian ad litem myself. Um, huh. When I'm in the foster care system, um, there's kind of a dichotomy between what I do, uh, which is an attorney ad litem. I represent the express wishes of a child when I get appointed in those types of cases. Um, and what that means, and, and their legal interests. Um, and so if they're um, entitled to, like, Social Security benefits and stuff like that, I make sure that they're receiving it and that the money is going where it's supposed to be. Um, some of them may have trust accounts that need to be, you know, I have to make sure that the trustee is being um, a good fiduciary of the trust and things like that. Whereas a guardian ad litem in that sense um, represents the best interest of the child. And what that means is they, you know, they get to speak with everybody the parents, um, the case managers with DCF, uh, the Department of Children and Families, and the child, and they get to observe the child in different scenarios, either visits with parents or in their foster placement or relative placement, wherever they may be. And then they opine to the court what they believe the child needs. Uh, usually it's, you know, making sure that they're receiving the counseling services that they may need if they've been in a traumatic experience, uh, making sure they're getting their dental appointment, you know, things along those lines, make sure that the child's healthy, happy, and safe. Um, and sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll be on the side of what the child is, is asking for, um, but sometimes they're not, and that's kind of where, where we may butt heads sometimes, but that's why there's, we have two separate roles. Um, the child may, one of my favorite examples is a child may, may want to cross the street while there's oncoming traffic, um, and the guardian is going to say, well, that's not in your best interest to do that. You may get hit. So they're going to say, no, don't do it, whereas I have to, you know, kind of be the voice of the child to come up with the legal reasons why they should be able to just cross the street if they felt like it uh, at, that point, uh, at that point in time, even with oncoming traffic. So that's kind of the difference between us and, and the foster care system. Um, and the, um, in the family arena, sometimes um, during a divorce or, or, or a nasty paternity action, um, the child may have... Um, a thought, and um, and the attorneys may want a guardian ad litem to be appointed in those types of cases. In those types of cases, they don't have um, a statewide guardian ad litem program like we do in the dependency system um, that um, appoints these volunteer guardians ad litem. Uh, so they usually look to the local bar attorneys who are able to take these types of cases. Um, generally, you have to pay the guardian ad litem for their time, and so that's why I actually have a few of these types of cases for those who don't have the money, um, if, I, if my caseload isn't too large, I, I'm usually happy to take on one or two of these types of um, appointments um, where I'll act in that similar role, um, but in a family law case, like in a divorce, um, and, you know, dealing with kind of the, the custody issues, you know, who is the child more comfortable with and which of the parents is able to make sure that the child is able to stay in the same school system and, and things like that that... Um, that comes into play. Um, but the hmm. statewide guardian office, like I said, that's um, funded by the government. It's, it's a, they are a uh, state entity. Um, so if you are employed by that program, you are a state employee. Um, but they only have the resources to provide that in, in the, the foster care system, the dependency system here in Florida. So um, when you get into that, it's, it's your, um, those guardians are only dealing with children that are in the foster care system. Okay. And um, I always wondered at that distinction, what, oh, why is there a separate 
guardian appointed by the legal system separate from the foster parent is? Um, well, the guardian ad litem is kind of just um, like an eyes and ears, and um, they, call, they consider themselves to be the voice of the child. Because in, in almost every case where the child is removed from both parents, the guardian's office gets appointed. Um, okay. And they, the child may be young and, and may not necessarily need an attorney ad litem because uh, they may not have any legal issues. They might not have a trust or social security or um, medical needs that would require them to have a specific attorney representing them and their expressed wishes. Um, so a, a guardian ad litem is almost always appointed to kind of just be able to speak to the child and then represent to the court what the child wants um, because the foster parents may also be abusing the child um, mm, without doing okay. this. And if they don't have a separate person to be able to talk to the child that the child trusts, um, and we're only relying on what the foster parents are telling us the child's doing, there may be other things going on in that situation that we're not aware of. So it's an impartial um, extra pair of eyes and ears um, and mouth for the child and what the child wants um, or what they think the child should have. And more than likely, they, they, they may tell the court what the child is wanting, but they'll still say, but I don't think that's in their best interest, so I'm not recommending that the court do this. Um, and that's kind of where my role kind of comes in as the attorney ad litem. Like, well, I appreciate what the guardian's saying, but here's why I think you still should give the child what the child wants. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of the, the role of the guardian ad litem in most of these cases. Um, you know, they, they talk to the foster parents, they talk to the parents, they talk to the child, um, and so they may even recommend to the court that the foster placement isn't good because the child is getting a lot of stress with the foster parents um, or, the you know, the foster parents may have too many foster children, and most recently one of the cases I had, you know, the cleanliness of the foster placement was called into question, and it's like if we're, you know, there's hazard, if we're removing children because there's hazards in the house of their parents and then we're putting them in a foster placement and they also have hazards in their house, like what are we doing? Um, and so if we're just relying on the foster parents to uh, tell the court how the child is doing, um, there may be some other things going on that we're not, being fully aware of because they're going to be biased in themselves, whereas the guardian um, ad litem is really the only bias that they have is, is the child's best interest and, and the child's health and safety um, and not, you know, an allegiance to a parent or a foster placement or anything like that. Huh. Uh, are there any areas of law that you're particularly interested in that keep you... Uh Motivated at legal aid? Sorry. I'm... Yeah, I don't know that there are any areas specifically. I mean, I enjoy what I do working with children. Um, sometimes I would kind of prefer doing more, um, like, our, our evictions and or housing issues because that one's not as um, mentally taxing as, as dealing with abuse cases. Uh, I mean, and sometimes I, I would like, well, maybe I will go into contracts because then there's no emotions in that whatsoever. It's just, you know, one person said they were going to do something and they didn't. You know, the facts are pretty just there hmm. and they're black and white and either you did something or you didn't. And, and there's, you know, how are you going to fix this now that you decided not to do what you said you were going to do? Um, but like I said, I, I, I don't know that I would ever find that really rewarding, even though maybe it would be a little less stressful. <laughs> um 
but one of my I'm I'm a big civil procedure um, nerd, so I, I love reading you know the rules of the court, and um, sometimes you can win a case just because the other person committed a technicality and, and didn't file something right and and you don't really have to get into all the facts and, and drama of it. You can just be like, well, they were supposed to do it this way and they didn't, so you should just dismiss this. And, and then the court says yes. So it's, it's good to actually know the rules and follow them uh, so you don't have any of that happening to you or your, your clients. Um, I always... Um, one of, a, one of the recent cases I had um, was a opposing counsel didn't like the ruling that we received from the judge and decided that they were going to um, appeal it. And they have a certain amount of time in which to do that. It's usually 10 days. And they filed uh, their, their notice that they were appealing it seven minutes after the deadline. Like it was 12.07 a.m. the very next day. And it's like, well, you were supposed to have that filed by 11.59 the day prior, and you just committed, like, such an egregious malpractice by being eight minutes late filing a simple piece of paper, (laughs) and now you've messed up your client's position. Um, But it's helpful to my client because now there's that technicality preventing them from getting relief um, because they, they were seven minutes late. So things like that just kind of, you know, are, are, are fun to, to win on. And because if you know the rules, then um, that could help your case if, if the other person doesn't. Mm-hmm. And for some okay. reason, it's not very intriguing, and, and, and that, keeps, that keeps me entertained. <laughs> <laughs> A true attorney looking at the legal system, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. We, we're, we're, we've all got our quirks. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> that's funny. You, you know, as we wrap up on, on uh, you know, this course that you've taken us through, I'm really fascinated by the window into the legal system that you've given us. But I'm obviously outside of it and live in a different world. And I'm also fascinated by how they parallel when you talk about just the emotionally draining piece and finding some balance in your life and really being the one that people look to to remain somewhat neutral and remain emotionally, um, I, I guess, emotionally stable so you can make a logical and rational decision, and which is obviously what they hope that we do in medicine as well. <laughs> and, and so I, I appreciate those parallels and, and also the efforts that legal aid makes and that you make uh, in helping those who need help um, who can't afford it. So that's really a great service at Collier County that I didn't really know about. Um, Is there any other things that you would want to share about legal aid in particular or what you do that's important for others to know about? I I think based on your questions, I've, I've gone over almost every program that we have. Um, and kind of how our system works. So I don't know that I have too much more to say. Um, uh, I mean, it's it's nice to try to get out there because, um, like you, there's a lot of people that don't realize that our services exist, or if they are aware that our services exist, they kind of have some misinformation about how it works and 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 what uh, they're entitled to. Um, so it's it's nice to kind of educate people on on that. Um, but mm. based on 
kind of going back over our conversation, I don't know that I've really missed anything um, in terms of what services we offer, um, how they get funded, and and how we or we're able to do what we do. Um, and, and I know you're going to ask me how people can contact us, so um, that would really be the only last bit of information that I think people would need to know um, regarding our organization is, is how they can contact us and apply for our services. Okay. How would they do that? Um, we're actually we're on the East Trail in Naples um, uh, at 4436 East Tamiami Trail, and they can uh, call us at uh, 239-775-4555. And at that point, they would speak with our receptionist, and she would determine um, what their legal needs are based on what their situation is, uh, whether or not we have a program that would be able to meet those needs, um, and then they would do a pre-screening where they would ask some questions about their finances to see if they would, you know, generally if they would qualify for whatever program that um, they're looking to get assistance from. And then at that point, they would be, uh, get scheduled an appointment with one of our intake specialists um, who will then set up a meeting with them and tell them what uh, paperwork um, they need to, to bring with them. And uh, they will at that point fill out an application and, and go through usually an hour-long uh, meeting um, applying for the services and, and kind of giving the basic background of what their issue is uh, so we can make sure that we're, we're placing them with the right person to, to get them the help that they need. Mm, okay. And I also found you online at collierlegalaid.org. So I'll spell yeah. that out for folks. www.collier, collier, legal, L-E-G-A-L-A-I-D dot O-R-G. Well, thank you, Corey. Uh, again, for everyone on the call, it's Corey Huffman, an attorney at Collier's Legal Aid. And uh, I appreciate you being on the call. Thank you so much for your inspirational description of what you do and, and the nitty-gritty so that we can figure out what services are there. And also thanks for everyone listening on the call today and uh, everyone listening later online. Um, people of passion and purpose doing interesting things, living the present moment. Again, I'm Dr. Joel Yang, and stay tuned for more from livingthepresentmoment.com.